Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Uh, I've got Bill Alderman with me, and Bill is like world famous in the investment banking and aviation community. He is absolutely the man in smaller mid-market, sell-side banking. Um, everybody knows him. Uh, he's a lot of fun, great personality, knows the industry really well, and I'm thrilled to have him here. So, uh, hey, Bill, welcome. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Thanks, thanks for coming. I'm not sure I'm world famous. If I am world famous, maybe for the wrong reasons, but thanks for the kind introduction. Everybody knows, everybody knows you. Well, everybody. Not as so, well as everybody knows you, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, lots to talk about right now. COVID, post-COVID. Um, what are you seeing? You know, M&A, yep. uh, acquisitions, private equity, yep. SPACs. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. What are you There's seeing in the M&A? And there's urban yeah. mobility. There's just a whole lot going on, Craig, and electric and all the rest. So let's start by, by and I know you know this, but but for the sake of those people that might be listening, let, let's give you a real quick sort of where we come from, because uh, that'll calibrate, right? So, uh, and, and it'll explain why I don't know a whole lot about SPACs. So our market really is the 25 to $100 million revenue business in the A&D supply chain. That's our world, right? And where I came from, I was on Wall Street. I worked for GE, uh, got an MBA in finance. But but I'm not really a banker at heart, right? What I am by at heart is I'm a pilot. I'm a commercial pilot. I'm an owner of an aircraft, uh, Cirrus. Um, and I, I'm just passionate about aviation. That's what I am. And I merged that with my Wall Street M&A corporate development job and my growing up in a family-owned enterprise for three generations it was retail, but it was a family-owned enterprise. Intentionally and sort of just by happenstance, I morphed into Alderman and Company 20-some-odd years ago, which is my love for A&D, right? my passion for aerospace and defense, um, my love and understanding of the family-owned enterprise, because I grew up in one, yep. right? and my job of being an M&A guy from Wall Street. And I mushed that all together sort of by happenstance. And I advise mostly privately owned companies that want to be sold as usually an exit, you know, transition for an owner. Uh, but it's all A&D. And so I go to work every day. Sometimes, you know, I'm frustrated by a financial spreadsheet, but I love what I do. I mean, I wake up in the morning. I can't wait to get to work. You're like me. When I come to work every day, all I talk about is, is airplanes. Yeah. If I could smell low lead 18 hours a day, I would. I, I go to these conferences. It's funny. I go to these conferences. My wife calls me like in the middle of the conference. She's like, how's the conference? I'm like, it's good. She's like, well, what do you mean it's good? Who do you see? I go, the same people we saw 15, 20 years ago. And it's, she goes, what are you talking about? I go, it's a bunch of middle-aged guys talking about airplanes. It is the ultimate geek fest. And, so uh, it, it is, but it's, it's great, like, but it's great. It's like a high school reunion. You know, the good thing is I, I have daughters, right? I have one daughter who's at McKinsey, another daughter who's at Gray, the advertising agency, very smart young ladies, and they don't have interest in my practice. It's fine. Um, but it's nice to see there are actually finally women in our industry, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it still is a bunch of old men. That's really what where we came from. But there's this group now of really talented young ladies coming up. It's nice to see, right? As, as a father of two daughters, it's really nice to see. Well, hey, I'm glad you, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. Yes, it is a great time for women in the industry. In fact, the last three placements I've made for well-known companies, GoGo, Millionaire, Chromaloy, have all been women 
in senior roles. And they're fantastic. They, 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 it was like a hands down, this is the right executive yep. for this role. So it really is good to see a lot of, a, a lot of you know, diverse yep. backgrounds coming into what was you know, a heavy, all men, you know, all, all men. men, all yeah. men. And I'll tell you what, I, I've been on some public company boards in A&D. Right. I, I call it my day job and my night job. It's not what I do for a living, but I've had the, the honor of being on some public company boards. And I got to tell you, when the boardroom is diversified, it may sound hokey and, you know, new generation buzzword, but it's true. When there's a diverse board, you get better collective thinking. Yeah. Well, diversity of thought or diversity of people brings a diversity of thought. It's healthy. Uh, it's, it's, healthy. It, it's, it's exactly. And the best thing you can do is have people who are willing to challenge each other. Yep. And yeah, they look at it differently. And that's what, you know, as, as I like to say, competition makes for better companies. Uh, you're a capitalist, man. Me too. So let's talk about capitalism at its extreme. Okay. I'd love to talk. All right. So what, all right. So let's, let's talk about this crazy SPAC market. Okay. So we'll do SPACs and then we'll come back to what I call earth. Okay. All right. You got it. So I'm not a SPAC expert. And the real reason it's not so much that I think SPACs are bad or overly complicated, which they may be. Um, but the real thing about SPACs is that it's for the larger enterprise. Now, maybe for for a, a Joby or a company that doesn't have a lot of revenue, but it's on a potential tear, right? right. It could be an Amazon of the future world someday, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to SPAC uh, a $30 million company that might be a $60 million company in a few years. And without getting in all the boring corporate finance stuff, SPACs are this vehicle and engine for uh, investing and betting, right, on yep. real, real growth. It's venture capital money. Mm -hmm. And you look at the ones that have been done that I think may have a real chance of creating wealth, like the SPAC of Wheels Up. Mm -hmm. To me, and I'm not close to that deal, but vanilla, right? So basic understanding. Good company, right? Mm -hmm. Could be a large, big player in the market someday. And it could be a, call it billion dollar enterprise. Mm -hmm. That's a great SPAC. It, it, it went to market smaller. It's going to be public. It's going to be much bigger. That's the SPAC market. Mm -hmm. But if you were to say to me, my father founded our $35 million company and I want to sell it and it could double in size over the next five years, that's not a SPAC. And right. so because that's not a SPAC, I don't know much about them because my world, when I wake up to when I go to bed, is that 20 to $100 million A&D company that the owners are looking to sell. And yep. therefore, I think never, but should I say very, very few of those should be exited to a spec. Yeah. So how many of these? Yeah. So let's you know move on. How many, you know, you think about the 25 million Yeah, these are the companies that the, the general public doesn't see. You know, you see a lot of these deals. Yep. But yeah, you, know, you you get you know, there are a lot of machine shops, high precision, you know, a lot of precision machine shops, or it's yep. this guy who's got a specialty widget, or this 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 gal who's got a specialty widget. How do you yep. you know where do these companies play in the supply chain, and what are they you know how are you finding them? Where do they play, and what's the importance? Yeah, that so they bring? It, Craig, perfect question. And 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 for those in the audience, Craig and I talked a little bit before this 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 podcast, but I did not set you up for that question. You did good. That was a good question. Okay. Thank you. And I don't, I don't get credit for that. You do. All You've right. Thank it. you. You've done this before. I have done this. All right. Well, you're good at it. So it's a great question, right? And the reason I like the question is because it takes us to a place where I think a lot of people haven't paid a lot of attention, but they sort of know it, 
but it wasn't said overtly, okay? And that is that the A&D supply chain clearly is a global supply chain, especially amongst our allies and friends, okay? But you don't even need to be an ally or a friend to be making parts for Airbus, right? It's not military goods. Right. When it comes to U.S. military goods, it's 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 a different story, right? NITAR and all the rest. Mm-hmm. But globally, A&D, right? A&D is a global industry. Um, when I started in this industry in the 1980s, right, um, it was pretty pretty much a U.S. market with some European mm-hmm. supply base, okay? And I'm talking again about the Western world and the Russians and the Chinese back then were very separate worlds. Um in the 90s, and we all know this, but we don't talk a whole lot about it in A&D. In the 90s, a lot of this stuff moved offshore. Mm-hmm. And, and what we were seeing as the M&A banker trying to sell little companies, they were getting hurt. And, and they weren't necessarily hurt by the OEM. They right. were hurt by the supplier that opened them the Kiodora. By the yeah. in Mexico, remember when that was the yeah. hot? Oh, uh, uh, still, yeah. You still, I still talk to companies that got a big presence down there. And then it was well, they opened up in Malaysia. That was mm-hmm. another big one. Well, then it went onshore China, right? Mm-hmm. And so there really was a period of time where it was hard to sell a small A and D company because they were getting hurt. They mm-hmm. were literally they were declining earnings for a decade. Why? They were doing a better job every year. They were doing the the, the, can, the the Kaizen, the 5S. They were leaning themselves out. They were doing better every year. Mm-hmm. But you can't compete with almost free labor, right? And that was literally what we were hearing. Bill, we're competing with practically free labor. Right. Okay? Um, and we have we have environmental costs. We're in California. We, we, we can't dump in the backyard. We know mm-hmm. for a fact that our competitor in XYZ jurisdiction just dumped that crap in the backyard. Yep. I can't compete. Well, what we're seeing now, especially in the defense supply chain, but also because of COVID in the commercial supply chain, mm-hmm. it's no longer save me a buck, get me offshore. Mm-hmm. What we're hearing time and time again from our little 20, 100 million dollar clients is, hey, we're doing really well. DOD is onshoring. You can't mm-hmm. buy a resistor from China to go in a U.S. weapon system anymore. Mm-hmm. So the entire supply chain from the Raytheon all the way down to that last little microchip, yep. it's got to be U.S. source now. Well, that's, that's a windfall for the de- little $20 million defense supplier. Okay? Mm-hmm. But also on the commercial side, you know, Boeing is looking at its supply chain. So is Airbus and saying, you know, COVID hurt bad. Yep. Right? And we're trying to ramp up and we're really worried about our supply base. So it's no longer just save me a buck. Right. It's now I want good cost, but I also need reliable supply. And so what we're really seeing in A&D is a resurgence of value. There are other things we can talk about, about why values are up. But I don't think this is an anomaly. I think this is a tectonic shift of reshoring. Yeah, I, I, I totally. Well, one, the trust, uh, the, the trust out of China is gone. Yeah, you know, everybody thought, hey, look, you know, it's. Yeah, it's 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 the biggest market. You remember back, you know, ten years ago when everybody said, "If I could just sell to one percent of China, yeah. I'll be rich." Yeah. So everybody moved there, and then you know, look, the Chinese are going to do what the Chinese are going to do, and and I'm not going to make a political statement and say it's good or bad, but they're going to do what's in their best interest, and it's not in their best interest from their point of view to buy from if they can make it in China and sell to the Chinese themselves, they're going to do it. So that market is not going to be anything where people thought it was going to be, and it's going to shrink. Um, but I was talking to another fellow CEO of a $80 million, $90 million company, private equity owned, and he said, yeah, look, I can get 15% more 
on price, I have to keep a little bit more inventory, but I can ship next day. Yep. My clients are coming to me and saying, hey, if you keep this much on the shelves, yep. we'll buy it from you. He's like, hey, look, I'm a little more expensive. I can get 15% more on price, but they're eating it all up. So the, uh, the the reshoring, you know, now maybe Mexico, Canada and Mexico is going to is going to play into, but the Asia thing is, I think that bulb is 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 dimming pretty quick from a lot of. So that's really what we're seeing in 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 A and D M and A. I hate using so many buzzwords, but but in aerospace defense mergers and acquisitions, what we're really seeing is, despite from the COVID effect, which sort of you know knocked everything to the right for everybody on every regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're seeing is that if you are 70 years old or 65 years old and the kids are doing other things and you're thinking about your retirement, you're saying to yourself, you know what? COVID was miserable, right? For all of us, miserable. Some of us more miserable than others, but we're getting that thing behind us. Supply chains are recovering. And if I want to sell my company in a year or two or six months, you know what? The future looks good. And that's that's what in my 20 plus years of doing this, it's all about it. You know, people want to buy a company that they think they're buying it at a fair price and has a good future. Right? Mm-hmm. It's all about whether you're buying a, a, a tow truck, right, or whether you're buying an aerospace and defense company. If you're a business person, you want to say, well, I bought a tow truck for a good price and I'll make money with it. Yep. That's why you bought it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm gonna- Mr. Johnson, I'm going to buy your company. You can go off and retire. And I gave you a nice chunk of money, but I'm going to make a nice return on that chunk of money. It's all about the future. And so if everybody's worried about offshoring or other problems with the earnings stream in A&D, it puts a kibosh on selling. Mm -hmm. And when the market is reshoring and stabilizing and in favor of the U.S. supplier, and most of our clients, 85% of our clients are U.S.-based, these are good times for these people, and I don't think it's an anomaly. I think this is going to stick around for a while. So let's 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 I'm going to fl- let's talk about COVID a little bit. So a, a a year ago, fifteen months ago, there was a big speculation that a lot of these small businesses were going to die on the vine. And thankfully, what I'm hearing from my private equity friends is they're out looking for deals, as you know, and they're saying, "Hey, look, there's no real. We're not seeing distressed sellers. A lot of these guys." You know, business owners decided to hang on, you know, ride it out. You know, if they were if they were interested in selling, they may still be interested in selling, but they're not gonna they're, they're not lowering the multiple, they're not lowering the price. You know, are you seeing a lot of are, are you seeing that the, the vast majority of the smaller suppliers held up pretty well? Yeah, it's a great question. And when we entered COVID, right, in my mind. I remember March 13th to 20 was sort of the day that I wrote down on my little calendar that, you know, COVID started, right? And mm-hmm. so whether, whether it was a week later or two weeks later, it doesn't matter. Um, but by, by the time we got into May, and I think all of us, but me, knew that this thing was not going to be over in a week or two, right? right? When we were in it and knowing we were in it, um, I I talked, I have two colleagues I work with, and I talked, and they're very senior, smart guys, and, I, and we all got together, Zoom, because we couldn't get together, uh, right? We all learned how to use Zoom, and um, we're like, there's going to be a tremendous amount of bankruptcies, and we got to gear up for bankruptcy work, and without getting into the legalities of it, there's this part of Chapter 11 called Section 363, okay. which is when the bankruptcy court and the, all the parties hire an investment banker to sell the company, and it, it's court mandated and it's section 363, but quite frankly, it's just you hire 
an investment bank to sell your company in a court mm -hmm. process. So we expected a lot of 363 work, which we've done in the past. Mm -hmm. There was none. And we, we were making connections with people we know in the bankruptcy world and bankruptcy lawyers and things like that. And they were saying, and we got the stats on it. We published a report a little while ago. There were less bankruptcies during COVID than there were the year before. The year before was one of the best years in the U.S. economy, right? It was like a 20-year peak of economic activity, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the peak of the Trump administration and, and good or bad politics, but under Donald Trump for a period of time, the economy was rocking, right? Mm -hmm. Fact set, not politics. And during that rocking period of time, there were more bankruptcies than during COVID. Okay. Why? Right. Why? I have the answer. I'm I can, front, I can right? guess. I can guess. PPP. There you go. Okay. okay. PPP1, PPP2, and the CARES Act. And again, I don't want to do politics. This isn't a political uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. Statement of fact. The, the programs to provide capital, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not going to talk generally because all I know is A&D. But mm -hmm. the capital that flowed into the aerospace and defense industry was the one of the best political moves of our country's history. And and, you know, whether you're on the spectrum of more government support, less government support, it really to this issue doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The airlines and the A&D supply chain literally did fine during mm -hmm. what should have been a disastrous period of time. And yep. people like me were like, well, a lot of bankruptcies coming. And there were very, very, very few because of the really brilliant legislation and the funding that came out. So the PPP, I just, in fact, I just was talking to a, a reporter and we were talking about COVID and I said the same thing. The PPP money was brilliant. You know, it's easy to turn out the lights in A and D. You, you turn them out in 30 seconds, boom. You know, not even that, one, boom. boom. It takes you a decade to bring them back on. If you yeah. can. If, if you, you can. can. If you can. Suppliers got to be requalified. You know, parts got to be manufactured. Pilots got to get trained. If it weren't for PPP and the government, the, you know, the effects on the economy would have been... The effects on the military. We have a client that makes a part for TACOM. That's the tank command. Yep. Yeah, they yeah, make, yeah, yeah. They make a part. Okay. There's the OEM and them, dual source supply, right? As it should be. Um, small company, not well capitalized, right? Privately owned. Mm -hmm. Great company, no debt, but owned by a family. Okay. Right. Uh, could you imagine telling TACOM, oh, we're sorry. One of your critical suppliers for tank command just went bankrupt. It's not shipping anymore. I mean, right? I mean, literally impacting national defense. And so our client told us not only were they getting PPP money and all the rest, but DOD volunteered to prepay orders. Yep. So they, they placed the PO and sent money with it and said, we understand you won't ship for nine months. Make sure you're financially healthy. Yeah, that, that's a really smart Department of Defense. That absolutely it is, and 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 I think that's kind of like, you know, I think about the 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 you know when you talk about the importance of suppliers, you know, the I I think that, you know, I'll go the, uh, Boeing's miraculous infinite wisdom partnership for success, which I could talk about all day. Um, they did not understand the importance of individual suppliers until they didn't have individual suppliers anymore. And, and, and partnership for success was not partnership for our success. It was partnership for our Boeing success. And it hurt. 
a lot of people. And I think what COVID did now was you look at your suppliers, you go, whoa, I really need each and every one of them. Or I'm going out now and double, triple, you know, I'm, I'm going to go where I was single source. Now I'm going double, triple to protect the supply chain. So now there's like a whole resurgence. Am I, at least that's what I'm seeing. You may be seeing something else, but that's no, what I'm seeing. We are seeing, and it's not there yet, but we are seeing a meaningful, rapid recovery of the commercial aviation industry supply chain. It's going to take some time to get all the way through the system, but it's coming, and it's coming faster than I think. Well, I don't want to speak for others. It's coming faster than I thought it was going to come. Yep. Uh, and the and the defense industrial base um, is healthy, and and it's reshoring everything off China, and as a as a taxpayer. I think that's a good way to protect our country. Yeah. Oh no, it's you got to do. So, so as they're reshoring it, who's getting the business? You've got, you know, you've got your client, your customer who is a, yep. a family, small business. Yep. Maybe doesn't want a whole lot more. Is pretty happy. Who, you know, you've got some private equity-owned companies that are, hey, we're massively, you know, we're trying to grow you know, EBITDA. Who's getting all this business that's reshoring? And, it, it, from what we're seeing anecdotally, right, we don't have any market research on this issue. We do surveys all the time, but we haven't done this one. We should. You just gave me a great idea. But we're seeing it literally across the base. We're seeing it with our, all of our clients. Um, but we're also seeing it with the people that we're talking to that are the buyers. Um, it, it's the entire food chain. It is, it is from the OEM to the, to the, the prime to the sub, to the sub, it is all the way up and down. On AMD, so you go to D, and it is purely all the way up and down the supply chain. Yeah. On the on the commercial side, we live deep in that supply chain at that thirty to hundred million dollar company, and I can speak for those guys. They are seeing a resurgence. I can't necessarily speak for the the, for example, Transdimes of the world. Right, we sell to people like that, but we're not on the phone every day with people like Transdime. That's a separate conversation that I'm I'm not qualified to speak for Transdime, my friend. No, I no, that's all right. Hey, but but along the same lines, you've got these behemoths. You got Raytheon Technologies. Yep. Lockheed Martin. These guys are huge. Huge. Do they start to fall all over themselves and start to say, hey, look, let's just get rid of this to somebody and we'll buy from them? Are they happy doing that or do they want to just control what's their you know, what's their focus in this whole in this whole thing? So I think there's stability at that level. Right. I mean, you know, there was M&A activity, a lot of it, you know, billions and billions of activity a little over a decade ago. It's now almost two decades ago. Right. Right mm -hmm. after right, during mm -hmm. Bill Clinton's administration with, uh, you know, guns for butter. Right. Um, right. Uh, and there was massive consolidation. They referred to one event where there was a dinner uh, with the secretary of defense. They called it the Last Supper. <laughs> yep. Um, and the word was, guys, get ready because there's going to be a cut. And they consolidated. I think we're done. You know, could I see a large merger here and there? Of course I could, right? But do I see, think there's going to be large consolidation? Now, Lockheed is large enough. DOD doesn't want Lockheed and Raytheon to merge. Yeah. Now, somebody someday may do that and play back this tape and say Alderman was silly. But Alderman doesn't think he's silly. I don't think DOD wants Lockheed and Raytheon to be one company. But do they start to spin out these little? Do they start to spin out these little divisions as independents? I mean, there's always there's always an opportunity for a board, a CEO, to think that they can let something go and, and do something better with those funds. So mm -hmm. that's always doable. But that, do I see a, like a Lockheed selling a Sikorsky? I mean, I was shocked when UTC sold Sikorsky. I was shocked, but it mm -hmm. happens, right? Could could it happen? 
Could an electric boat get spun off? Yeah, I guess it's possible, but I don't see a lot of that. What mm-hmm. what I what I what I see actively is the billion dollar under enterprise mm-hmm. doing a lot. The 30, 40 billion dollar enterprise, I see them blocking and tackling with organic growth. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you add a thirty million dollar acquisition to a forty billion dollar company, it's not news, right? It's just not yeah. an event. So I don't see any events at that tier one level. I see activity at tier two, the billion dollars, and I see a lot of activity, what we'll call tier three, the hundred million dollar level, because I re- and I really in my heart believe this. There's a resurgence. There, there is, there's growth. There is, there's, there's sunshine, and it's leading to a lot of M and A activity in that market. So you take uh, these these fifty million dollars, just call it fifty million dollar companies, and and you start to see the machine shops, yep. you know, Whitcraft being one of them, and they start to bring a couple more in, and and um, you know they they bolt these things on. What do you, what's their end game? Are they, are they going to take these things to 500 million and then sell them, sell them to a bigger company? They can IPO them. What's the, uh, you know, what do you see the strategies on these, so, in these acquisitions? So Nick Howley, who was the, really the, the leader of building Transline. Exactly. Yep. Um, I, I give him credit for, for uh, being pretty darn brilliant. Now, some things he did weren't perfect. We're all human beings, okay? Yep. Um, and Transdime has had plenty of critics. It's not, nothing is perfect. But Nick, Nick was very intelligent, I think, in seeing this. This is what I think he saw. Small companies don't really do well on their own in A and D. And when they get together, they can keep their brand names and, and you know, Transdime really is an own, a holding company of a lot of great brands in this industry. You know, the, the, it, it, it didn't it didn't take away all those brands. It put them together and made them better. Right, right. So, and so, what I think he figured out, and what I think should be done again and again and again, and you can pick other examples up. Heiko is an example. Wencore yep. is an example. And Wencore is not public, but my guess is maybe someday it will be. Yep. But you take these little companies that their their capital is too expensive. Their benefits are too expensive per dollar. There's a lot of inefficiency of being small. And you take them and you put them together in a public vehicle like like Transdine, and there are efficiencies. You don't don't destroy the brands or the quality or the products, but you make it a stronger enterprise. And I think there are more Transdine. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Transdime is a master. they, They were buying these. You know, I love it, the proprietary stuff. They see the value in a lot of stuff that nobody else was seeing. You know, these legacy parts of which, you know, hey, look, we, you know, we'll make a hundred of these things a year for B-52s right. and we'll sell them for a fortune. The DOD doesn't like that, but hey, look, when you're only making a hundred or something a year, but I, you know, look, I'm just mad that I didn't buy Transdime stock deaths of COVID. Yeah, you know, think about this. Imagine you were a procurement officer at, yep. at, at, in DOD supply chain, DLA, right. or you're in you're in the purchasing department at Boeing. Yep. Okay, yep. you got a really important part, a widget, a really yep. important widget. I mean, it'll shut down production if that's not working, coming on time, right? Mm-hmm. Or it could kill troops if that thing breaks in the middle of warfare, right? Mm-hmm. And you got a thirty million dollar supplier, and you're fifty five percent of his business, right? As privately owned. Right. And it's got it, it's got a, a family behind it, but they don't have any other wealth. Right. I mean, you're putting you're putting a production line and you're putting troops at risk. 
Yeah. I mean, great company, great people, but that's risky. Well, well, look over my, you can see over my shoulder, the, the picture of the E2, the Hawkeye. Yep. We used to burn out a radar box. You go on cruise and there was a box in there and there was one support. We would burn it out and then we get so pissed off when we burned it out. It was a million bucks to fix it. Yeah. And there was only one person that could do it. And he was an old, like, uh, you know, Litton engineer. You remember Litton Corporation? Yeah. He was an old Litton engineer and they used to ship it to his little company. He'd do the thing on it and he'd fix it and ship it back. And there you go. You're going right now. Right. So now imagine it's, you're the procurement officer or the purchasing officer, director, whatever, manager. And instead, that could be a $30 million division of Raytheon. Yep. Okay. Which, which would you rather take to your boss for approval? Also being equal. And in fact, if Raytheon is 4% higher, right, and they'll guarantee the entire corporation behind it to make sure it works right, yep. and you got a $30 million supplier, you've been doing business with 30 years that you love, you probably shouldn't go with that supplier again. Right. Yeah. And so the issue is not that these smaller companies that are now growing are, aren't doing a great job. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to destroy their culture. There's risk in dealing with a very small company and being 55% of its revenue stream. Well, that's, yeah, but that's like Breeze Eastern, you know, so Transdyne bought, you know, Breeze Eastern for, you know, big numbers. They bought, I'm trying to think the guys are down in, um, oh, all of a sudden in Melbourne, Florida. I don't know if you, you were the, it was a Warburg Pincus company. Yeah, I, went, I almost fell out of my chair when I heard that Transdyne paid 500 million bucks for that. It was like a competitor to Ontic, you know, and they're buying up, you know, legacy product lines from Esterline and wherever. And um, yeah, I definitely see. I think you're right. I think they they kind of they started something there. You see AE Industrial Partners you know, doing a lot of the what? same. David thing. Rowe used to be my boss at GE. Oh, is that right? I, I learned, I, I didn't figure all this stuff out on my own. Someone, someone taught me some of this stuff. He's a smart guy. Dave's a smart guy. He's a, guy. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, his whole team is, is, is brilliant. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like what's, what's happened. What are you seeing in 2022? You seeing a lot, you seeing a lot of deals happening or so, what? Uh, so I think overall macro, I think we're, we're going to be good, right? So if you're, if you're 70 years old and you're thinking of selling next year, you're going to be fine. Okay. okay. It'll be a good market. You'll be healthy. Uh, revenue stream will be good. Uh, maybe a little bit of inflation in the in the headwinds, but I, I don't think it'll be crazy. The, the one issue that I think we're all going to deal with that from now on for the next, I think, few years is the political um, uh, machine potentially changing taxes at the federal and or state level. Uh, COVID was expensive and forget politics, okay? COVID costs money. This PPP money, you know, mm -hmm. got to come from somewhere. You can't print money. If you do, you get wild inflation. Right. So it's coming out of somewhere. And so, you know, are we going to have wild inflation? I'm not smart enough to know. I think we have some inflation. Yeah. Are we going to have higher taxes? I'm not smart enough to know, but I know there's a lot of debate in this country about whether it goes up or, or not. Mm -hmm. Whether, whether taxes go up a little bit or a lot, I don't know. But I do think it impacts M&A activity. Yep. So if tax rates go up a lot and they're considered to go up a lot, but maybe they'll go down in two or three years, mm -hmm. then the 68-year-old seller will say, well, I don't want to pay more taxes. I'll keep doing this for a few more years. And when tax rates come down, I'll sell. Mm -hmm. So my answer to your 2022 question is, the only thing I see driving up or down of M&A activity is a change in taxes. If taxes go up a lot, there's a there's a likelihood that some sellers will say, I'm going to bet taxes come down in a couple of years and I don't mind waiting. Right. 
that's the only thing that I'm seeing in my sort of jigsaw puzzle ahead of me that says things could change a little bit. Mm -hmm. What um, what's got you excited the most about, you know, Microsoft is playing in the DOD, you know, Jedi computer, contract. Jedi contract. Uh, do you see, you know, you, you see now the, you know, the, the EV tall space. Yeah. is getting very is obviously very popular hot. it's hot um i just placed a vp of engineering for xti aircraft which i like a lot um what's got you excited all right so uh you threw a lot at me there craig so all right, sorry about that two I'll, pieces. that's okay so i'm going to take the microsoft comment and throw that into an it bucket okay and i'm going to take the ev tall and throw it into a future of flight bucket how's that all right all right, so the IT. Here's what we're seeing on IT. Um, we don't play in the obviously huge Microsoft world. We do deal, and we've dealt with in the past month a client that was in the IT space, okay. um, doing some engineering software services uh, uh, programming um, as a service. Um, the one thing we're seeing on IT is that IP, intellectual property, is the most valuable thing anybody can own. We've all known that for a while, but even in AD now, it's becoming more and more important, the IP. And the second thing is that when people are doing due diligence, remember when we were kids and environmental became the big thing you had to do due diligence on that was never done before, right? But you couldn't sell a company anymore without doing a big environmental study, and that was a new thing, mm -hmm. right? It's now standard, okay? Right. Well, the new thing is an IT review. Have you been hacked? Will you be hacked? cybersecurity. And yeah. so it is the new environmental of a, it's not going to be one question on the due diligence list. It's going to be a page and we're going to spend a week on it. Okay. Wow. So that's number one. It's a yep. big deal to buyers. As I bet it is. Yeah, okay. no, it's got to be a big deal. Okay. So next one is the, the question about future of flight. And in my practice, my colleagues and I, we sell mature companies. We are not mm -hmm. venture capitalists. And the reason we're not is not that it's wicked cool. It's that it's a different skill set. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you're out there saying this company is going to grow by 3000% in four years, mm -hmm. you're talking to a different set of buyers and you got a different way of looking at things and a different way of assessing risk, right? The way we sell a company is, well, you've been making parts for Boeing for 12 years. Mm -hmm. Which program are you on right now? Right? Not you're going to invent hydrogen propulsion that's never been done before. Mm -hmm. Let's go find you investors. And so mm -hmm. to me, the future of flight as it relates to Alderman and company is it's exciting. We're learning about it. Um, I fly a Cirrus with low lead flying a TCM 50 year old design motor. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm going to keep flying that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I buy an electric airplane someday before I die. Yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to buy one tomorrow. I'm sure no. I'm not going to put my family in it and go on a long haul trip. Not going to nope. happen. Right. right, right. And is Boeing going to use hydrogen to propel its next aircraft? No. No, no. not, not in my lifetime. Not in my lifetime. But could it start to fly some test beds? Absolutely. Yeah. But is that going to be a supplier to that thing going to be a mature business to sell in five years? No. Mm -hmm. And so the answer is, I don't know enough about that market because it's not my market. Gotcha. It's interesting. Yeah, you, know, you, you talk about. I, I wrote a little note here. The value of companies, and you know, it's interesting. Is I've had three or four private equity conversations, small private equity groups, and, and their M and A guys said, "Hey, look, if you hear of a company, it's it's interesting. Has a qualified part. They make they make a qual. They're qualified at Boeing, Airbus, Raytheon, whatever. They make they have 
one or two part numbers in that steady in there. I want to know about them. I mean, it, it's amazing the value. You have stuff I never thought about 10 years ago. What makes right. a company valuable? You know, all right, so I, I don't want to bash any OEMs. Okay. Right. I love OEMs. All right. All right, okay? all right. But I'm going to say that I fly a Cirrus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a glass cockpit, but I'm not going to say who made it. And different guys have made them. I'm not yeah. saying who made it. Right. right. But I, I, a couple of my knobs cracked. Okay. All right. And I had to replace them. Knobs, plastic knobs, four plastic knobs. What did it cost me, Craig? Oh my gosh, that's a little knob. I bet if if you spent a thousand, if you spent a nickel, you spent a thousand bucks for a knob. Eight hundred dollars for four plastic knobs. Okay, there you go. Okay. Yep. yep. Do I love aviation? Well, there are days I love it, and there are days, <laughs> there are days I, I hate, it. hate it. Right. If I'm buying the parts, I do not like this business. If I'm selling the parts, wow, is this awesome? So. <laughs> Look, that's just the nature of it, right? I mean, it's a qualified flight deck and the button the knobs, yep. they're part of the flight deck. Mm -hmm. But 800 bucks for four plastic knobs, really? Oh, yeah. No, well, yeah, hey, look, you know, it's, I, I, I get on American Airlines and people talk to me about, what do you do? And I go, oh, I don't want to tell you. And they're like, well, what do you specialize in? I go, like, I'm one of the few executive recruiters that specializes in the aircraft part out market. And they go, what do you mean? I go, all right, this airplane that you're flying on now has American Airlines on the hull. I go, you know, Avalon Leasing may own the left engine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aero yeah. Capital Solutions may own the right engine. Yeah. And some third bank may own the hull, and it just totally freaks them out. I mean, there's the, the, the dynamics of what goes into this industry and how people make money. It's 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 a great it's it's capitalism at its finest and it's it's fun to it's fun to watch it yeah but the bottom point though to take away from the humor and get back to the series sort of sort of my closing comment is we're dealing with life here right yeah. and and i fly my series and and i i'll fly down to minimums at ifr i'm a commercial pilot with 30 okay. years right so my wife and i were going somewhere last week and we were down to to just about minimums a couple, couple hundred feet above minimums and look, I don't want to kill myself and my wife, right? And right. so the fact that those knobs were expensive, fine, I can joke about it. Yeah. But that flight deck kept me from dying, right? And I don't yeah. want that flight deck having to be rebooted when I'm 700 feet from the threshold, right? right. My iPhone crashes and I reboot it. Yeah. Right? That aircraft is going to keep me alive. And so if I have to spend a little extra money so it's fully certified and yeah. safe, Sign me up. Well, that's the whole thing. You think about commercial aviation. We have not had a death in this country on a U.S. airline in 10 years, a decade. I think we had one, right? We had an uncontained failure with a blade that killed that poor woman. Aside yeah. from that bizarre event, right. right there with you, brother. But you're going, you're going a decade, thousands of flights every day, one death. And you're going, you know, it's an industry, you know, to me, it's just an industry that's built by amazing companies and amazing people honor honor and integrity and, and the reason why a and d go so well together despite the fact there's a lot of a in the d is there's a level of integrity and honor and trust um you you do not belong in either of these industries if you want to make a quick buck and run you, you get the yeah. hell out of our industry yeah yeah no it's uh i got gotcha. you so bill alderman alderman and company up out of connecticut how do people get a hold of you 
uh, a phone number, an email address, a website. You, 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 uh, you, you, you tell people, you tell me what you want people to have. All How's right. that? So it, it, uh, the website, just to keep it simple, it's, it's aldermanco.com, www.aldermanco.com. And all your contact info is on there. It's all there. Awesome. Hey, Bill, thanks for coming on. You going to come back? Uh, yes, sir. If you'll invite me, I'll be back. Yeah, man, we're coming back. We're going to get you all back right. on in a couple months. Stuff, thanks for coming on. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.